We're in the third chapter. Let's open our Bibles to the third chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 3. We'll see how far we get, 3 and chapter 4 possibly. But in the third chapter, we're going to have uh, the judgment against the rulers in verses 1 through 7, and Jerusalem's sad condition, verse 8 and 9, and Jehovah's message, verses 10 through 15, and then the worldliness of the daughters of Zion, that's verses 16 through 23. And this chapter describes the corrupt conditions among the professing people of God in Isaiah's day. You think uh, from time to time, professing people have become corrupt. And a similar corruption and worldliness prevailing in our own age demands divine judgment. We know that we that the Lord will not put up with uh, corruption and worldliness in any day and age. And He wouldn't put up with it in Israel, and He will not put up with it in the church. He will not put up with it in Christendom. So that means that you and I today have the lessons of the past, and the lessons of Scripture, and the lessons of experience to teach us to get our act together and get right, doesn't it? And so... We're going to find some conditions described here in various things, but let's begin looking at verse 1. Notice it says, For behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. In other words, the supply and the support, evidently indicating famine, could be indicating famine, not only a famine of the uh, stay of bread and, uh, and of water, but of their leadership, because the next verses speak of the mighty men and the man of war and the judge and etc. So, not only was there uh, stability of physical things taken away, but their political or their rulers and the ones that guided them in the right way, this was diminished. So, desolation on every hand. And you know the Lord knows how to touch a nation or a people, and He can do it in so many ways. Uh, he can do it with a famine in the land. Remember, there was a famine in the land that drove Abraham down into to Egypt. There was a famine in the land that sent uh, uh, Jacob and his sons into Egypt to buy corn. Jacob didn't go himself, but he had his sons to go. And so God knows how to touch people and to control things, and we wonder sometimes why tragedies and catastrophes and things happen on every hand, but the Lord is in control of these things. The Bible says that He has His way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of His feet. And uh, we don't understand why that in Arkansas just yesterday they had all the tornadoes and there was 22 people, 21 or 22 the last count I heard were killed in hundreds, over 200, and maybe that uh, number has risen to uh, a great deal more by now. I don't know how many, but the last word I had. All injured? Well, you know, uh, we feel sorry for people uh, all over that and the floods back in, in various parts of the country and then out in the west, all the, the deluge of the deluge of the floods in the northwest. And we don't know, but God uses these things sometimes to just wake us up in general terms, just speaking to all of us. 
Not just them, but all of us. And he speaks to you and I through tragedies and through things that happen. And the Lord is able to do that with the, the bread. Think of the very things that we have need of that God is able to attack and to bring about in our lives. You know, if you're on a well and that well goes down for a few days, my, things begin to fall apart, don't they? You begin to miss that water. A lot of things begin to happen. I mean, you need it for washing, you need it for cleansing, you need it for washing your dishes, you need it to drink, you need it for all kinds of purposes. The same thing with heat. If the electricity goes down in all your furnaces and all of the, the heating systems in your buildings. In the old days, if you couldn't get out and there's a three or four foot snow and you was out of wood, you were in a terrible fix. So, you know, I mean... Uh, God has a way of touching our lives. You know, we're not we're not so far removed from the Almighty that we can just do as we please, and that's what the Lord is trying to get over to us. And He says He takes away the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. And notice in verse two, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient. The captain of fifty, and the honorable man, and the counselor, and the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. God is able to touch through the ones that are in control of everything. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The immature. No one else would have the job. The most immature people would be in leadership. And the weakest and it says, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. You see the spiritual and moral condition and the, the, well, what were they to do? They were to care for their neighbor, love their neighbor, and love one another. And instead it was right the opposite. The people shall be oppressed. And it says, Every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient. We've heard that in our day, haven't we? Children that rise up and speak against their elders and uh, harsh words. And, and the base, the most, the base against the honorable. The most base of, of men against the honorable. And then in verse 6 it says, When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be a healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. It would be no honor to rule in the nation. Can you imagine the condition of a people where there would be no honor to leadership and to to someone that would rule in the nation? And yet that was the condition of these. So the judgment was against the rulers, against the people, because of their uh, words and their works. They had been rebellious against God. We'll see on down in verse 8. The reason, it says, for Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen. Now look, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. What two things? Their words and their works. Their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. And so the reason all this was happening to them was because of their words and their works. You think words and works are not important? What we say and what we do is very important to God. And He takes it all to heart. And their words and their works were against God. And it provoked the eyes of His glory. 
Now on down verse 9, it shows us that the sad condition is that the show of their countenance doth witness against them. The show of their countenance. The sad condition. Have you ever seen folks that just all kinds of expressions on their face? Sadness, sorrow, no hope. You just see that person when you can just tell by looking at him that he's feeling terrible. The show of their countenance. What? The show of their countenance doth witness against them. And it says, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. In other words, they're so provoking. They're so outgoing and so so uh, uh, blunt and bold with their sins. They don't care who knows it, in other words. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Who brought it on them? They can't blame anyone. They brought it on themselves. Do you know our sins that we commit, we're responsible for? And we bring things upon ourselves. It's not the other fellow. We used to sing the song, Not my father, not my mother, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So we have a, the old, it's as old as Adam and Eve, blaming someone else. Adam said, the woman that thou gavest me, you know, she caused all this. The woman said, the devil made me do it. Right? And God starts with the devil and Satan, and Satan, and he says, Satan, he's going to be judged. And then he comes back to the woman, and then he comes back to the man. He reverses the course, and he comes back where it belongs. Because the man was in a place of responsibility. And by the way, God made men in places of responsibility. Don't ever forget that. And it's God's plan. I heard uh, on one of the public the public broadcasting that was discussing about God one time. They're supposed to have some real smart folks on there talking about it. And uh, they had two or three women and four or five men. And, and this uh, Bill Moyer, I think, program was the one that had him had this discussion going on, and one of the women said, and God, whether it's a he or she, I thought, boy, how stupid can you be? You know, how stupid can you be? God knows the difference between male and female, and you and I ought to have figured it out by now. You know, the thing about it is, it's, it's stupid the way some people talk, isn't it? They just go on and on like that. You know, they're going to change it. And, and, they want it to meet their own uh, idea of what God ought to be like. And uh, the Bible tells what God is. And uh, the Bible speaks of God and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit of God. And we don't have any right whatsoever to meddle with Scripture and try to change things around and make it fit our own ideas. We're to take it as it says here. But notice it says... Uh, the show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe to their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. They bring it on themselves. In verse 10 now. Here, uh, verses 10 through 15, we have um, uh, Jehovah's message. By the way, don't let it fool you that, uh, that uh, some claim to have a monopoly on the name of Jehovah. It's been in the Bible ever since it was written. Jehovah is God, and there are many names in the Bible. I could go through a list of names, Yahweh, uh, Elohim, Eloah, all kinds of names, and names are names. 
and some places, and he was Jehovah, God of Israel, and it had various meanings, Jehovah Nissa, Jehovah Shalom, uh, and all various kinds of names attached to it, meaning certain things that God would do for Israel, Jehovah Rapha, healer. And so don't ever let any cult claim that they have a monopoly on the name Jehovah. And by the way, don't you be afraid to use it in its proper context either. And this is Jehovah's message to uh, the people. And he's going to show that they reap exactly what they sow. Look at verse 10. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat of the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him, done to him, given him. Reap what they sow. Bible says that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Remember there was a king that cut off the toes, the great toes, the big toes of certain ones that he had sitting under his table. And when they captured him, Adonabezek, I believe was his name, and they caught him, remember, and they just cut off his toes. So don't ever cut off the uh, finger of somebody else. You might get your own finger cut off, right? God, God is very exacting. He made it exactly the same thing. They could have done a hundred other things to this fellow, this king, when they captured him. They could have done any kind of a ill treatment to him, but they did exactly to him what he had done to others. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Give, reward of his hand shall be given him. Then verse 12, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Children, notice back in verse uh, 4, it says, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And then children become the oppressors, and women rule over them. Now, then I don't want to get into something that would cause a lot of problems, but God made men to be rulers and guides. Women have certain places in this world. Certainly, we don't uh, belittle any woman if she has a place of service and does a good job of it. But still, God intends for men to be rulers. And by the way, He meant, intends for men to be ministers. He, and he chose the twelve apostles. Oh, I'm getting on touchy ground now. Aren't I? But it's the truth. And nowadays, they're ordaining women priests in various churches. And by the way, you can't even show me in the Bible where a man is to be ordained as a priest. He's supposed to be a preacher and a teacher and a pastor, but there's no such thing as New Testament priestly function today from the, behind the pulpit. His job is a preacher and a teacher and a pastor. And by the way, the Bible teaches that all of you are priests in your own right. See, we just well set the record straight, hadn't we? You turn over to the book of First Peter if you want to. Turn to the book of 1 Peter. Notice what this says. Chapter 2. It says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. A spiritual house and holy priesthood. The believers were in holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. On down, verse 7 says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. That is, Christ is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So in verse 7, it, it's unto you therefore that believe. Now, the, it says uh, in verse 8, A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But look at verse 9. But ye, ye believers, 
ye, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. That means a special treasure, purchased people belonging to God. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's all believers. Believers are priests. And believers are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Every believer. You see, you're just as much a priest before God as I am a priest. I'm a preacher and a pastor. But you're a priest in your own right. And you have a great high priest seated on the right hand of God. So... Come back to this. Isaiah chapter 3 now. It says in verse 12, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. The Lord standeth up to plead, and, and standeth to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people. The princes thereof, for ye have eaten... Up the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. While they lived in luxury, they oppressed the poor. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts? Why are you oppressing the poor? By the way, these same lessons trickle down to you and I today. They come right on down to us and are applicable to you and I in our situation. When we try to claim everything and own everything and join land to land and we find that in another passage of scripture land to land and leave no room for the other fellow you know if if you join land to land and say all I want is the land next to me you could go around the world couldn't you because it would always be the next piece of property and see people can be just so gullible they say well I don't want anything but that piece of property right next to me and when you get that one next to you, say, all I want is that one next to me. Or where's it going to end? Then you go on both sides of you, see. And you go every direction. North, east, south, and west. At the same time, oppressing the poor. Oppressing the poor. And leaving no room for another person. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor? Grind the faces of the poor. Put them under subjection. Under servitude. And under... Uh, Pressure, because they are poor, saith the Lord God of hosts. Verses 16 through 23, we see the worldliness of the daughters of Zion. The worldliness. In other words, the worldliness of God's people. And it's expressed in, uh, as far as the fashionable women seeking to lure the other woman's husbands with their imported luxuries and dress, luxurious dresses. <coughs> And that they would soon be destitute. God says he'll put up with that luxury, luxurious living for a while. But then he's going to let you end up with, in poverty. And he shows that these women had that kind of a nature about them. They wanted everything and they wanted to be beautiful. Fix up the outside and, and have the most expensive of everything to the putting down of those that had nothing. Notice it's described. Moreover, the Lord saith, verse 16, because the daughters of Zion are haunty. They're walking proud and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes. The wanton eyes means that they deceive with their eyes. Walking and mincing as they go, tripping nicely. Mincing means tripping nicely as they go and making a tinkling with their feet because they have small uh, bells on their ankles. 
and they want to attract everyone's attention. In those days, it was very elaborate. But God would get tired of that kind of action. It says, Therefore the Lord will smite with scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. What does it mean there? Make them naked or strip them of their ornaments and strip them of their beauty and of their finery. And then see what they look like. When God takes away all that they put on the outside to try to attract. And God has a way of doing that. You and I need to be mindful that whatever we have of God, we are to be thankful for. Some people are always worrying, worrying about what they look like. I don't worry about what I look like. I am exactly what I am. I really don't. Someone said, Brother George, don't you worry about this or this wrinkle or that wrinkle or this uh, feature of your character or that other? No, not a bit. doesn't make me any difference. God gave me this and I'm satisfied with it. I've seen other people far worse off. And I'm thankful for body, soul, hands, and feet, for life and health and strength. By the way, beauty's in the eye of the beholder anyway. So we find that uh, these people thought they had to put on the outside to attract anybody. You don't have to do that. You just be yourself and have that uh, beauty of the Lord from within, and God will bless, bless you for it. You just be what you are. I've seen people that in the eyes of the world, I remember one person in particular uh, back in uh, East Texas. And this poor lady, she had, uh, her face was, was real broad and she had large eyes. And some people would like kind of classify her as having frog eyes, so to speak. And that was her outward appearance. But she was the sweetest person that you ever ever met with and when you talked to her you'd forget all about what she looked like I mean just because she looked different that didn't make any difference she was the same and sweet person from the inside and you would pay no attention to the fact that she was different in those ways from from the rest of us or from many others I should say so and it says in verse 18 in that day that means the day of the Lord In that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet. And that was the the silver bells on their ankles. And it says, about their feet and their calls. A call means a melted, a netted rather, a netted cap. Their networks is spoken of. C-A-U-L-S. Netted caps. And their round tires like the moon. That was their headdress. On down it says the round tires, and then it says chains and mufflers. Notice the next verse is one guy that was trying to describe that God was describing how Henry Ford made an automobile. I mean, you know, it does kind of grab you, doesn't it? But the thing about it is, that's about how that some people interpret Scripture. And you know... That's why you have so many of these fellows describing the things of the book of Revelation without taking scriptural guidance from it, and they have all kinds of imagination. You read some of the things in the book of Revelation, see if you can't be just about as far out. Remember, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong always identifies the, the certain 
ones over there in the book of Revelation as being helicopters, you know, how they come down, they got the steel breast, you know, it's talking about, and then they, they make that whirly, whirly whir sound when the propeller goes around, and he describes that, and, and they still hold on to, to it, the church of God out in California and all over the country and all over the world. It was, uh, J, uh, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong-ism, a mixture between British Israelism and the Seventh-day Adventists all mixed together, which makes it worse than if it was just one or the other. You know, you just kind of like a mulligan stew, isn't it? And you know that's the way folks do. They get a little bit of enlightenment here, and they latch on to someone else's enlightenment, and they mix it all together and stir it up in a big pot, and that's what you get for doctrine. Well, you and I need to rightly divide the word of truth. And this, all of this context is talking about these... Uh, Daughters of Zion and their worldliness and their uh, their dress and the way they were trying to lure uh, others with their outward appearance. And it describes the various things that they were wearing in the Old Testament. And notice it says, In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls. And we said that's netted caps. And their round tires like the moon, headdresses, uh, the feet bells that they were worn around their feet. Uh, were spoken of, the tinkling ornaments, and then the chains wore, worn about their ankles, and the mufflers, these were uh, spangled ornaments, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, and the mantles and the wimple, uh, wimples and crisping pins, all these describes ver- various things that they wore The glasses and the fine linen, they exported linen from Egypt. It was exported from Egypt. And the hoods and the veils, all of these was describing of their attire. And because of their appearance, and because of their all of this elaborate dress that they were using, it says it shall come to pass, here's the end result, the humiliation in judgment. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of a well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a stomacher, a girdling, a girdling, a girding of sackcloth. And burning instead of beauty. In other words, God is going to reverse all of these things and make it corrupt and displeasing and unattractive. Thy men shall fall by the sword and thy mighty men in the war. And it says, and her gates shall lament and mourn, and she shall, and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. And verse four, uh, verse one of chapter four goes with it. And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach, because it was a reproach for a woman to go uh, without a husband and remain childless all of her life, and they were seeking a husband so that they would not in their lives in dishonor. Sad state to be in, isn't it? Chapter 4, we don't have time for it, but we'll get into chapter 4 in our next lesson, uh, picking up with verse 2. We thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.